Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. Christian faith, which worldview do you hold? Pre-modern. Why is that again? You are submitting to rules that what? To determine truth. And where are those rules found? From God. Scripture would be probably more accurate because a lot of the questions we had last week is around interpretation. And when you put people who make up the church, that's where we get a little bit fuzzy. But I think we go back to Scripture, and Scripture is that concrete objective truth. Is that making sense? Okay, football, Christianity, so pre-modern football. Um, and this is, again, why. Truth can be known. If you're pre-modern and you are living out your faith, truth can be known. Postmodernists say, what about truth? It's relative, and we're not even sure if we can know it. How, how can we even know it? Truth is objective and written down in Scripture, and we're called to conform to that objective truth. That is how we live our lives. It's not a subjective experience. It is an objective experience. Um, and then, why does a postmodern mindset lead to more pain in difficult times? This is more of the essay portion of the pop quiz. Someone, someone chew on that for a second, and then real clearly, real loudly, see if you can give me a, an answer. No rails. What do you mean? You go right off the cliff. Without rails, you tend to go off the cliff. You want to give me a little bit more on that, or? Uh, no. Um, no solid rules. They're, they change all the time depending on who you are. So Correct. And then you don't have a foundation to come back to when life gets hard. Yeah. Anyone else want to give a? Give, give an attempt. I believe it, it almost seems like, you know, how when, when you lie, and then you have to make another lie to cover up that lie. Oh, that's, a, to, that's pretty good. It, it, you know, so you, you change these rules, and then you've got to keep changing them to, to fit. Like, yeah. Because as things grow chaotic, and then yeah. you make these other rules. That's, that's not bad. That's, that works pretty good. Anyone else burning in your heart to really give an answer to that? Yep. Yeah, manic depressive. That's, that might be a pretty good thing to describe some of this stuff in our world right now. One more, and then I'll give you kind of my summary for that. I'll come back to you. Great. Then, and my feet slip. Yep. Then everything. You have, again, you have no foundation to come back to. No foundation at all. I, I used the, the uh, unrealistic expectations. We talked a lot about um, the postmodern mindset of I, my, my truth is happiness. I need to be happy. I need to make decisions that are subjective, but if they make me happy, then, it's, then I'm allowed to do it. 
Problem is, as soon as you make yourself the authority for what truth is based upon happiness, this world does not guarantee you happiness. We have a family in our group right here who lost a husband this week. There's no way to predict that. And if you're in a subjective mindset, what do you do with that information? You're, you kind of get lost. You get floundered. What's, what's the cause of that? And it, and it leads to more and more questions because of unrealistic expectations. And so, remember this equation? This is what the world says. Better possessions plus peaceful circumstances plus exciting experiences plus perfect appearance and right relationships. This is what the world says is going to give you happiness. Oh, good grief. Um, <laughs> blessed be these buttons. Good, 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 good. Ultimate happiness. That's the, that's the world's definition of how to find happiness, right? The family in our midst this week, that second one, peaceful circumstances. It's out of their control. So according to the world's definitions, the postmodern mindset, ultimate happiness is completely out of their grasp. Again, it's tragic. It's, it's sad. The um, Christian solution is what? Lay down my life. Love my enemies. Give without expectations of return. Take up my cross. That's what we're called to do. That's the formula according to Scripture. And that gives us Christ-likeness and eternal happiness. And we talked a lot about experiencing temporary pain for long-term advantage. Well, I gave it to you. What is the one suggestion? I've su solution I suggested at the end of the last session? The eternal perspective. Remember that? Does it sound familiar to some? really love 2 Corinthians. I went back and started rereading through the early parts. I, I, passages we pulled up last week are from 2 Corinthians 4. You go back to the beginning, chapters 1 and 2, holy smokes, it's nothing but your world is hard. We know you're going through dire straits. We know that pain is real and we're hurting with you and we don't want you to be stuck. We want you to have hope. And so by the time he gets to uh, chapter 4, it's like, therefore, we do not despair. But even if our physical body is wearing away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. That doesn't sound hopeless at all. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. For our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Yeah, because we are not looking at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen, right here, is temporary. But what cannot be seen is eternal. That eternal perspective. That is what we can rely our hope in. Pop quiz concluded. Thoughts or questions? I know we had a lot of questions from last week. I actually want to give kind of a little slice halfway through here, not even halfway through, a little way in. Any questions that kind of we're still kind of ruminating or chewing on from last week that, that you want to have some space to, to wrestle with? Okay. Gosh, you guys are an easy crowd tonight. So then here's the dilemma I am faced with, and... And I think it needs to be addressed and dealt with uh, directly rather than 
I, I hope it will work itself out in the end. And, and that is what I call trauma and faith development. Now, as a counselor, as a trauma therapist, I work with a lot of people in crisis situations or have been through um, highly uncomfortable, highly unfair, highly inappropriate, highly painful experiences, both as children, as adults, as teenagers. This is the population I sit with on a regular basis, and I hear the stories. And when I listen to the stories, I am faced with the reality that a pithy answer, and I'm going to use that word very intentionally, but being able to look at them and go, you just need to have an eternal perspective. I'm not so sure that that brings comfort in that moment. And so even though I believe it with all of my heart, I think I can, I can back it up both biblically and experientially, when you're sitting with someone in that pain, giving them just a simple answer of have an eternal perspective. Or, you know what your problem is? You're postmodern. That's, that's why you're hurting right now. <laughs> if I did that, I'm not so sure I would have a whole lot of clients coming back. That would be, nor should I, by the way. If you have a counselor who does something that to you, okay, don't go back. I, don't go back. Not a good thing. Um, pithy answers never work. Speaking truth is never as strong as truth that is experienced. Why do I have the second truth in quotes? Experience is subjective. Very good. And depends on what column you're in. You're right. Um, what does trauma do? Kind of a broad question. But someone who experiences a traumatic experience, what does that do for their um, perspective on life? Yes? What do you mean it shakes up their categories? I like that term. That's very nice. Well, they, they probably had a, a fairly good handle on what, what life's about. Yep. And then trauma was kind of like the foundation. <sighs> exactly. Exactly. It makes you start to doubt everything, in essence. You had a Coming in the back there, I want to make sure I see all the hands. Yep. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. And you come out an entirely different person on the other side of it. Yes. Right? Yes, ma'am. It distorts truth and it wounds the soul. Wow, that's really good. <laughs> Say that again. It distorts truth and it wounds the soul. So something that, because you go through the traumatic experience, you believe is real, is true. It gets distorted, and it wounds the soul. Can you put just a few more words to what that looks like or feels like? When you have placed your trust in people who are to protect you, and they do not protect you, it's 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, any way you can. How many of you, oh, don't do it, come back. How many of you seen that movie? Okay, several. This is not, how many have not seen Patch Adams? Okay, we're about a 50-50 mix. One more on your homework list to go home and watch. Um, very, very good. We're going to watch two clips tonight. We're going to split them up. Um, because the first one here is going to address what that trauma tends to look like, and then we're going to debrief that real quick, and then we're going to go into the second half of this real fast, all right? So this one's not too long, but let's see what happens. You have to read her lips. It makes it a little harder. That's These people that we're helping. All right, so watch this. I'm going to go back real fast. For those who haven't seen the movie, Patch Adams is a medical student. He's actually a much older medical student than everyone else there. Um, and he is going into probably, what, 1950s, somewhere in there, I think probably around 54 or so, um, 55, maybe even early 60s. Uh, and the medical establishment at the time is people are just numbers. You deal with people in bed number five. And Patch Adams is coming in saying, treat them like people. <clears throat> Learn their names find out their story, um, using humor, a lot of humor, to um, address their wounds. And so uh, Robin Williams' character, Patch Adams, and then the gal you're seeing here run kind of a side clinic where they're helping low-income and um, individuals who need a little bit extra help. They're doing that for free because they see that those individuals are, are in the most need of that kind of care. So let's try it again, and we'll listen from the beginning. It's amazing. Just what you've done with this place, you know? You too. These people that were helping, they would have had nowhere to go. You're a good man. Well, are we? Is it me? No. I mean, are we, are we just... Are we good friends that occasionally kiss? Patch, my entire life, men have been attracted to me. My entire life. When I was a little girl, I would look out my bedroom window at the caterpillars. I envied them so much. No matter what they were before, no matter what happened to them, they could just hide away, you know, and turn into these beautiful creatures that could fly away completely untouched. Mm. 
I hated men so much. I wanted nothing to do with them. What do you feel towards her? Notice what emotions you have regarding her story. Relief. Why? As loud as you can. Yeah. The entire movie up to this point is him trying to get closer. He's interested in her romantically. He doesn't make that a hidden fact. And he's been appropriate for the entire movie. But she has been. We saw him when he goes in for the kiss, and what does she do? Did the quick, here's the cheek kind of thing. What else? What other feelings about her or towards her do you notice? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to make you do it, Jeff. Go on. Stand up. <laughs> stand up in that way. those fatherly juices kick in, which is I'll kill anybody who comes anywhere near my daughter because I want to protect them. That, that, I know what that feels like. Yes, sir. I felt pain. Yeah. Pain and confusion. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. This is the first time in the movie, probably the first time in a very long time that she's actually been able to say it out loud. And she wasn't even very clear. She was still a little cryptic as to her story. Did you, did you get that? 
instead of coming out and saying, I'm the survivor of childhood sexual abuse, she phrases it in softer terms that we still get the gist. And even being able to say that out loud is terrifying for some individuals. Terrifying. Risking having someone else know that about you is, is disturbing. Hold on a second, James. What is he asking her to do? Say it again real loud. Define, define the relationship. To define the relationship. Yep. What are we? Just friends that kiss every once in a while? But there's something even a little bit more that he has been asking. Yes. Asking her to trust him. Very good. And is that an appropriate thing to ask? We now know she has a trauma history, and we now know that she's a survivor. That's just her story. Is that an appropriate thing for a man to ask a trauma survivor? Yes. Is someone going to stand on that loud? It's yet why? Why is that okay? Because that's what needs to happen. Because that's what needs to happen? I would say yes, yeah. Depends. Depends. Okay, that's a great safe answer. <laughs> but it's not, I know it's not a safe answer. I get it. Right. Yes. Yes. Whoa. That feels good. A lot of people are nodding their heads on that. It can't be expected right away. Trust is probably one of the most sacred things you've been, you can be given by someone, especially with someone with a painful history. Do you have something? And then we'll go back to you guys, and then we'll keep going. Real loud. Trust and vulnerability are necessary in a healthy relationship. Yes. And he's, he's wanting a healthy relationship with her and wants her to meet him. Basically. Yeah, which would be, again, an appropriate thing to ask of another person you're going into a relationship with. Right side and then James. Yep. Real loud. I think it's an incredibly um, necessary question to ask if, if it's a, you know, a long-term, drawn-out, like the story you portrayed, a long-term, drawn-out relationship before that question. Okay. Real loud. Yep. Of any subcategory or an overall category of um, you know, physical, psychological abuse. Yeah. Numbers are staggering. It will put you in bed for a month. Yeah, it's, it's painful. It's very, very painful. James, real fast, and then. Yeah. Yeah. 
to begin overcoming the trauma. It would be nice to say if just saying it one time and then all, everything is unicorns and butterflies, that for those who have done trauma recovery work, you understand that that doesn't happen and learning how to accept that part of your story is still incredibly painful. We're looking at the impact of trauma and the impact of trauma on faith development and how you see God and everything else like this. The erosion of trust is the greatest consequence of traumatic experiences, especially intimate traumatic experiences. It erodes your trust in yourself primarily, in others, other human beings, in the world in general, and then finally, God. Those four main areas is what is, is what happens in the breakdown of trust. It's like you said in the, in the back there, it's the, Nikki, it's the, it's the, your world is completely different and everything is redefined. Um, let's go through these real fast. Uh, lack of trust in yourself. This is probably one of the most painful, painful experiences I see as I sit with uh, clients who are moving through the trauma recovery process. Um, you carry a tremendous amount of inappropriate responsibility. It is the belief that it must have been something about me. That's why I got picked. That's why these experiences happened to me. This is why men were attracted to me. It's something about me. I've heard women talk about they have a certain dress and they despise this dress because that dress has become, become personified as a little girl as that's the cause. That, that dress that they wore is why they went through whatever traumatic experience they went through. And they start to assume that it's something about them, especially when you have multiple experiences with multiple um, contexts. It's like, I must be wearing a sign. Why are they everyone picking me? And you actually start to believe that you are somehow tainted, skewed, different, wrong. And, and that is probably one of the hardest things to break as you're working through some trauma recovery stuff. It's starting to understand as a little girl, as a little boy, an adult was inappropriate. They made poor choices. Now, if you notice... That actually has a very concrete statement. Is that a postmodern statement, a modern statement, or a pre-modern statement? Okay. We could either fall into either modern or actually pre-modern. Would it be a postmodern statement? By telling someone they are wrong for doing that to a little girl. <laughs> because if you go back to a truly postmodern mindset, it is, well, how can we tell anyone that they've done is wrong? This is where it all, again, it all plays into here. You have to be able to, or it is actually more cathartic to be able to say, this behavior is bad, and there needs to be consequences, and it's appropriate for you to be held accountable for those behaviors. That brings peace. It truly does. Um, people feel tricked or duped. I was going to show another clip here. Anyone seen um, the latest uh, Pixar movie, Zootopia, lately? Okay, yeah, that has a much smaller crowd, sorry. Got kids, yeah, if you have anyone under five, you've probably seen it. So I've, I've seen it, maybe, okay. That might be a broad generalization. I, take the, I withdraw that. Um, but there's a scene in there of one of the characters, he's a little fox guy, and, and he dresses up as, he wants to become a scout. It's a weird movie, it's Zootopia. It's, but he wants to be a scout, and so he gets all excited, and he's gonna go be a scout with this group of kids, and they welcome him in, and then they trick him, they, they dupe him, they turn off the lights, and they actually start beating on him. 
wonderful Pixar movie, okay? Um, and then he runs out of there in tears, and at that point, he makes a promise. What's the promise he makes? I'm never going to be vulnerable again. I'm never going to trust anybody again. If someone invites me, what do they want? They want something, and so I'm going to start doubting. They're going to, but he also doubts himself. How could I be so stupid? How come I didn't see it coming? I should have seen this coming. Okay, he's a little kid. Animated little kid, but he's a little thing. Um, we believe that we should know this, like we ha should have some sort of fortune-telling ability, when the reality is we just don't have that. Um, they blame themselves because you trusted, because you trusted. You don't actually say, I feel bad because this happened to me. You start to doubt yourself. I feel bad because I was stupid enough to trust somebody. Trust an adult, trust another friend, trust whomever. And you doubt yourself in that. And you start to learn to doubt your own perceptions and intuitions from there on out. So even as an adult, you go up and it's like, this doesn't feel right. But I, I, my feelings are so screwed up, I don't know what's up or down. I don't know what I should do. Because you, that doubt just has started to take root and start to become cancerous throughout your entire psyche. And it, and it becomes actually incredibly, incredibly scary. I, again, I think I've told the story, but I've had a client who has a um, very painful past. And as I have sat with her early on in our work, I have a cup in my office. And, and it's a bright blue cup, coffee mug. And I looked at her and I said, this coffee mug is white. And she said, okay. She wasn't actually sure what color it was, or she wasn't even sure if she could trust her perception because someone else is telling her one thing. And so we've worked really, really hard for her to be able to, in session, look at me and go, Paul, no, that is a blue cup. No, -uh, it's yellow. It is a blue cup but you're gonna hurt my feelings. No, it's a blue cup. That's been hard. That has been, I, I've done it with, I have a red hat I wear sometimes and did it with a whole nother client. My hat is, you know, green. And literally she starts trembling and shaking because if she says no to me, that might be something confrontational and she's actually not sure. She doesn't know, is it actually red? Now something as concrete as colors can still, you can get racked that deeply in your self-doubt. And helping people learn how to recover that is essential. That's probably one of my favorite things to do in my office, is to have people look at me and go, Paul, you are wrong. That is a red hat. No, -uh, it's yellow. And have them find the confidence to go, I don't care what you say, Paul, it's red. It's like, yes, you're disagreeing with me. This is wonderful. Isn't this great times? Fantastic. Lack of trust in others. Um, you don't want to get tricked again. You don't want to trust anyone because anyone, everyone has nefarious intentions towards you. You don't, want to, you don't want to put your faith in another human being because other human beings will not have your best interest in mind you are going to get hurt by them. So people get tainted in that. We end up putting people, good grief, into good guys versus bad guys, black hats and white hats. Oftentimes that uh, happens through um, specific genders. You heard that in the movie clip we just saw. What is, what is her black hat, white hat, gender-specific belief or truth about the world? Say it again. 
Men are bad. I, what does she even use the stronger word? What word? I hate men. All men. Broad category. It's a what? Do you think being able to tell her that with words are going to help that sink in? Yeah, it's scary. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. That is her, that's her truth. We actually use a different word. That's her reality. Men haven't been safe. The men, the limited sampling of, of males have actually not been safe. And so she's not crazy. That's the other thing I hear a ton in my office. I'm afraid that I'm crazy. You're not crazy for believing that because your sampling set is actually pretty accurate. Most men who you've interacted with are painful, are dangerous, are scary, are hurtful. And so your belief system actually makes sense. You talked about that experience uh, being like a stronger truth. Yes. Yeah. She is stepping into that right there by simply looking at him and telling him, him, you have to, the, the phrase I use, if you're wounded experientially, you have to heal experientially. And so he is offering her a context and experience to say, practice with me. Oftentimes, that's what I do in my office is I am probably one of the first men you've talked to about your trauma history that you're going through, and you're trying me on. You're testing me to see how I'm going to react, how I'm going to respond. And I am, in essence, a representation of every male out there. Talk about pressure. Man. But it is such an honoring and sacred place to sit with people. It truly is. And I'm going to suggest, me as a counselor, I don't... I'm not unique in this in regards to I'm the one who has to only do this because I have some sort of degree or some sort of training. Yes, I have some trauma training, but I can still be that safe man to women in my church, to people I interact with. Um, I actually believe the church itself can be a healing community. And so there are people in this room right here that I that I know, just again, given the statistics, given the numbers that Google will give you, that if you just do the math, there are enough people in this room that have a trauma history, and you sitting nearby and giving them enough space or looking them in the eye or the way you interact with them can be a redemptive healing experience. It is truly, truly um, redemptive. I love that word. We're going to take something that's, that's, that is damaged, that is tainted, and we're going to redeem it. We're going to make it better. Such a such a good thing that we are offered um, as as other believers to do for the people that we're sitting in the room with. It's truly truly amazing. Um, it's easy to go kind of because we saw it in the clip. Uh, men are all dangerous. Um, I have many male clients who have a trauma history as well, and they have the same belief about women. Women are very scary. Women are actually dangerous or unpredictable or, or hurtful in some way. Again, I've sat with a client um, and 
his mother, um, when it came time for the family to buy a new car, single mom, came time to buy a new car, she bought a two-seater car even though there's three of them. And he had to figure out where in the world is he going to sit because mom never even considered his needs as a child. And so he'd have to squeeze in and kind of sit all crunched up in the back. And it wasn't actually direct abuse. He wasn't punched. He wasn't molested, anything like that. But it was this profound kind of almost um, uh, missing him, like not even being considered in the family, left this tremendously painful place. And as I sat with him, it's like, I can understand why you are constantly looking for someone to validate you and say, yes, your needs are actually legitimate and we're going to account for you. We're not going to forget you. We're going to make sure that you are heard and understood. But his, his experience, his perspective towards uh, most women out there are they're not actually able to be trusted. And again, based upon his story, it makes sense. And we've got, we have more and more stories, your own stories. I don't need to update. It'll be okay. Um, more and more stories, your own stories that you get to tell. They're, the stories are important. They're precious to hear. Um, how about lack of trust in the world in general? There are three extreme reactions to the responses to trauma. The world is inherently a dangerous and unsafe place. When you have been hurt, you, the predictability of the world itself is actually a safe place, that foundational perspective about life in general gets tainted. And you now believe I have to be on guard all the time and that the world is a dangerous and unsafe place. And if you're not prepared, if you're not guarded, you will get hurt. Um, you will get hurt if you're not prepared for it. So three extreme reactions to the response to trauma. That's the first one. The world is an inherently dangerous place. You make these broad um, this broad assumption. Another client who as a child, she experienced a drowning um, experience with her sister. She was, she was watching her sister and again, a, a water accident. Sister drowned, but through CPR was revived and has grown up and is healthy and, and doing just fine to, right now. But as I sat with her and worked with her, the belief system of all water is dangerous is getting in the way of raising her children. So as her husband wants to take the kids out to the park and there's a stream or there's a pond, this woman is in dire fear that if, if they're anywhere near the water, tragedy is going to happen. And so she's had to keep this very constricted, very restrictive approach to how her kids play because they might get hurt like her sister got hurt. And again, according to her story, that makes sense, but is that how the world actually is? No. Kids play around the water all the time and they're safe. Now again, there's no guarantees. We can go back to Disney a couple months ago, right? I mean, tragic story. We can go to last Wednesday night. So tragedy still happens. But in general, the world doesn't have to be a dangerous place. So that's one of the three extreme reactions. The second one is, since my, uh, I didn't get my fair share. Man, one more time. Let's try that. I'm going to get my fair share no matter the cost. I deserve to be happy. I've already been hurt enough. I've paid my dues. And therefore... 
I'm allowed to do whatever I want so that I can, I can bring it back into balance. This is kind of that extreme um, wild child syndrome you see in a lot of um, individuals. Some people, again, when they have a wounded uh, experience childhood, they can go one of two extremes, a very constricted, very restricted life, or the very promiscuous life. So it says, the world owes me, and I'm going to get as much as I can. And then finally, the last one is, I'm going to help everyone that has experienced what I have experienced so they don't hurt as much as I did. The rescuer mentality. Again, it's understandable. We don't want people to hurt. You know the pain actively. It's, it's vivid in your experience. And oftentimes, as an early, early in childhood, you make the promise which says, I am going to make damn sure nobody else experiences the pain that I've experienced. And if that does, it's my fault. Someone else is hurting, and I could have stopped it, even though it's going to cost me tremendously, even though the, the, the cost in energy, the cost in mental space, the cost in emotional space, the cost in practical things, time, money, energy, effort, all those things, even though it costs me, it's my job to make sure I, I protect everybody else. And that gets exhausting. That's an incredibly exhausting way to live. Those are the three main ways that we tend to interact with the world or view the world. And then finally, um, yep, is since it will never get any better than this, I might as well escape this life. Actually, there's a fourth. But this isn't a way of coping, in essence. It's a way of stopping it. I've experienced so much pain that nothing will ever get better than this. And so I actually am going to choose to end my life. That will be easier. And for some, that is the most viable option because they've exhausted all the others. And that hopelessness kicks in. Finally, it creates a lack of trust in God. Again, trauma affects your trust in yourself, trust in others, trust in the world, and then finally how you view God or your trust in God. You had a question? Yeah. Yeah. Do you hear the word you just used? I really what? What did you just say? Hope. There you go. And for some individuals, especially with a trauma history, hope has been removed. It is actually not an option. Hope, again, if we go back to the first week in this, it's the ability to believe that things actually can get better, and that gets tainted as well because based upon their experience, nothing has gotten better. And so it's actually foolish to believe that things can get better. You're going to get duped again. See how that plays? See how it's this beautiful cycle? If I actually hope and believe, I'm going to get tricked because I hoped and believed as a little kid that I was going to be wanted or included, or this nice adult was going to care for me, and instead they took advantage of me. And so hope gets skewed in that, and it's painful. Yeah. Real loud, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Yes. What a beautiful question. Her question was, how long do you wait for someone like Patch Adams to show up in your life, and how often do you have to go out and find it? I don't have a concrete, this, this is a percentage of, you know, you have to be proactive, and this percentage is, it will happen automatically. I would respond with the question in this way. As believers, I believe we are called to do that with the world in general. I think Christ had the ability to walk into a room and go, I can feel the pain, and I'm going to treat you differently than every other man or human being has ever treated you. And that became both attractive and inescapable. And as believers, we are called to do that with each other. We're called to do that primarily with the people who are in closest community, my wife and my children. If I walk in and I sense something's wrong with my daughter, for me to go, well, I'm going to bed, see you later, that is missing that opportunity. It's time for me to go, I can, I can sense, I can see you've reached out to me. Let me give you my time. Let me hear your heart. Let me do that with my wife, my sons. Let me do that with my extended family. Let me do that with my friends. Let me do that with my church body. Let me do that with the grocery store lady who you can sense is having a bad day. And so you do something that's going to be uniquely different in, 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 in an interaction with her that maybe no one else has ever done. Sometimes all that takes is literally looking in the eye and go, thank you so much. I know you look tired. Thank you so much for taking the time to just bag my groceries. I really appreciate you today. You might be the first one in 82 people in the four hours she's been working that actually looked at her and actually calls her by name. They, you know they have name tags? Did you know that? People who do, do your groceries actually have name tags. And when you use that name, you'll watch them. They flinch. You called me by my name? My name's not Winco? That's weird. And, so when you, and then if you happen to go back to the same place for your, for your things that you get on a regular basis... I get gas at Costco, and one of my favorite guys, his name is Gary. Gary, how you doing? Thanks for pumping my gas. It's nice to meet you. He's a great guy. It's really fun. Hey, I'm glad I got Gary. He's pumping my gas. It's really nice. My wife knows a lot of the, the checkers at Winco when we go there just because, you know, number one, we got six people in our family, and we got three teenage boys. They eat everything that's not nailed down, so we're there every other day. So, oh, you're back. Yeah. We went through $100 in groceries in a day and a half. But you get to know these people. And they actually started looking forward to you. Yes. Well, I, I just wanted to mention that someone who's been through a lot of trauma and healed from it. And yeah. That, um, God is faithful, although it doesn't seem like it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Sure, sure. I would 
to answer the question on the other half as well, if you know that trauma is affecting you on a daily basis, if you can feel how it is disrupting you, and that person hasn't organically come into your life just by circumstance, it is appropriate to be um, proactive and to seek out someone. Now again, that might be a professional like myself, that might be pastoral staff like Ben or Bill or anyone on staff here, that might be someone, if, again, if you're going to refuge here, that might be your group leader. It might even just be showing up at refuge and going, this is the first time I've ever, ever sat in a thing like this and I'm scared out of my mind and I have no idea what to do, but I'm going to actually reach out and they'll put you in a nice group with other people who are scared out of their mind, and the leader will go, okay, we'll walk you through this really, really fast, and they'll introduce you, and then you can find a place that you belong. And by the way, you can wait. You can come and just listen. You can come and just watch. You can come and just hear other people's stories until you are ready to share that portion of your story, and then get known by other people here, and you can seek them out that way. You're sitting in a place right now that actively tries to create a community and a space where that can happen for everyone here, everyone in the church, everyone in the community. That's why it's such an honor and a privilege to come and sit and speak and be part of this. This is, again, I told you this before, but this is actually more therapeutic for me. It's just refreshing to sit with individuals who are wanting to intentionally interact with other people in a, in a redemptive sort of way. So let's do the last one here, and then, then we're going to You'll see what we're going to do. <sighs> Lack of trust in God is the last one. A lot of times people end up getting frozen in time. Um, I'm going to read a little bit here of another therapist who kind of addressed, uh, addresses this context or the concept of um, uh, how it affects your faith development and your relationship with God. Uh, we have... We, meaning therapists, have had the experience of teaching a much-needed truth to someone and recognizing that the truth would not go in. It doesn't get absorbed into the person. <clears throat> the truth may be assented to intellectually, but it does not seem to enter the life and heart in a transforming way. That is incredibly common. I can, I can sit with someone, and they can repeat back to me, truth that I'm saying to them. You are loved. You are valuable. It wasn't your fault. You are not responsible. You, you deserve to be treated with kindness and respect and value. And they go, you're right. Everyone else deserves to be treated with, people deserve to be treated with kindness and respect and value. No, 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 not people. You do. Okay. You're telling me to say this. I deserve to be treated with kindness, respect, and value. Okay. I've said the words. Do you believe it? Well, no. <laughs> it doesn't sink in. It actually, again, it changes your perception of yourself, but it changes your value from your creator, and, and, it, and you get frozen in time. Here's what it means. Um, the first block seems to be that a, survivor thinks, a survivor's thinking often appears to be frozen in time. A woman who is chronically abused by her father for 15 years thinks about herself, her life, and her relationships through that grid of abuse because you just had such a profound, long experience in it. That is the only experience, the only reality that you have had, and so you really can't even conceive of another way that it can be. Um, I think I always compare it to learning another language. I'm learning Spanish right now just because I thought it would be fun. Um, and it's coming along, but it is still incredibly difficult. 
Now, anyone here bilingual, kind of both English and Spanish? Okay. I'm jealous beyond all measure. That is just because you can read a Spanish word and you, you, those words represent, again, the cat sits on the mat, right? And you can hear those Spanish words and you just see those pictures. In my head, I have to go, gato means cat. Cat is this thing. Okay, now I have, that's a cat. Okay, L, is that masculine or feminine? The, okay. And, and I have to go through all of this stuff and my brain just doesn't have a context for it because I'm, I'm struggling through, it's, it's not normal, it's not organic, it's not, it's not built in yet. And so for someone who's coming out of a trauma history, they actually don't have those new words of, here's what safety actually looks like. Here's what um, respect looks like. Here's what freedom looks like. They're going, yeah, but that's not my experience. And those concepts are just so new and foreign, and I have no place to even hang those. It's like an entirely new language, especially if abuse was experienced in incredibly early or formative years of life. Then, then truly their perspective of life gets, gets hardwired in. Um, and that especially goes towards your opinion of God. What do you think of God? Okay. Uh, the second block that is that the abuse was uh, processed by a child mind and children think concretely, not abstractly. Children learn about concepts like trust, truth, and love from the concrete experience they have with significant others in their life. As adults, I can use the word trust. I can use the word um, vulnerability. And we can conceptually, intellectually, theoretically discuss that. You try to discuss that with a four-year-old, what's going to happen? Absolutely nothing. But you can absolutely shape trust and vulnerability through the experiences and concrete experiences of a child. Mom and dad label love and trust and truth for them, and those labels are rooted in concrete experiences with their parents, good or evil. And so you can have a dad who says, I love you, precious little one, and then proceeds to molest. That term, love, that term precious, now gets associated with a painful, scary, incredibly uncomfortable experience. And that actually gets locked in. It becomes almost concrete in some way. And so pulling someone out of that, again, they get frozen in time and they're approaching it through a child mind, even as an adult. And then third, children, like adults, learn about the unseen or the spiritual by way of the seen. God teaches us eternal truths through the natural world. You've heard it said probably that our opinion of God is shaped by our opinion of our, our, our earthly father. If your earthly father is kind, loving, compassionate, it's easier to understand that you have a heavenly father that is kind, loving, and compassionate. If you have a father who is mean, abusive, controlling, scary, and then someone comes up and says, God, your father, is kind, loving, and, and patient. Those two things don't compute because your opinion of God has been cemented in by, by the experience with your father. Sarah is five. Her parents drop her off at Sunday school every week. She learned to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. He is strong. Sarah's daddy then molests her several times a week. The song says Jesus loves her, it says he is strong, so Sarah asks Jesus to stop her daddy from hurting her. And nothing happens. 
Maybe Jesus is not so strong after all. Or at least not as strong as her daddy. Nothing, not even Jesus, can stop her daddy. The people who wrote the Bible must not have known about her daddy. See how it starts to shape your view of God, of Scripture? It gets tainted. It gets distorted in some way. On top of that, submitting to a male God is not an easy thing to do for both men and women who have been wounded. Scripture clearly states God in the masculine. Would you agree? God, the Father. It uses familial terms. And so he has ascribed a gender And it is understandable, again, given the stories of many people, why that would be incredibly difficult to trust. And so how has the world responded to that in a postmodern world? You can make gun. Yeah. We're going to make it more ambiguous. It's God is however you want to define him or her. And so again, this is where the postmodernism comes in, connected with trauma, because again, trauma is understandable. Trauma is understandable how it affects your view of God, and yet it's tempting to slip into the postmodern solution, and yet I don't think it provides a solution. It actually creates more problems and more confusion later on. Is everyone tracking with me so far? Is this making sense? Okay, we're going to complicate it here. Everyone doing all right? Take a deep breath. We're going to complicate it a little bit. Oh, this was a quote I heard this week. This is how poignant it is. Submitting myself to any authority doesn't feel good at all. This week, that was a quote from a client. She gave me permission to use that. Faith in the midst of trauma. The purpose of this life is to live with joy and vulnerability in a world of potential harm. I'm going to read that again. We are called to live with joy and vulnerability in a world of potential harm. There is no guarantees of safety. There is no guarantees, guarantees of security, and there's no guarantees of happiness. Now, we can be happy at times. We can feel safe at times. But overall, this world is filled with potential harm. Would you agree or disagree? Agree. Let's see how it plays out. Again, they're still working in that free clinic, working with some people who need some help. Yeah, uh, this is Larry. Uh, I was wondering if, if somebody could come over. Uh, well, I'm not doing too well. Uh, I was, I was, it would help if I could talk to somebody. Read 
remember, she's just been taught it might be okay to start trusting again. She's challenging her world view, the way that she believes the world has operated up till now. sound wonderful. Thank you. This house, it's amazing. Is it yours? It's my father's. He left it to me. Here, let me take your jacket. Sure. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, come in. Come in. I really can't stay very long. I just wanted to see how you were doing. Yeah, you're right. And we don't want to be late. Something unpleasant happens in this moment. I intentionally left this here so for those of you who need to breathe for a minute. She was killed. Forwardly, without complexities or pride. So I love you because I know no other way than this. So close that your hand on my chest is my hand. So close that when you close your eyes, you fall asleep. Band, you know that, right? It's about our patients, what do we tell them? They'll manage. Managed before. I refuse to quit. 
good. Oh my God, you're being so self-indulgent. This has been your vision, but we all built this place, and it belongs to all of us. Corinne will always remain within these walls. If you just walk away from that, if you let that all die. I've dedicated every spare moment I have to assisting you in what I believe is a pure and a good purpose. Quitting is not going to help you get through this. You've always told us, stop it. I've always told you what? People are good. Trust people. Ha! You know, Truman, in all of God's creations, only human beings kill their own species. There's a fun fact for your final exam. Corinne's death cannot make helping people wrong. You saw it coming. She knew there was something dangerous about Larry. I didn't see it. Patch, why are you being like this? Because I killed her, Truman. Taught her the medicine that killed her. She'd still be here if I hadn't met her. I taught her the medicine that killed her. What was the medicine that he taught her? to trust, to lower her guard. And what happened? What happened? She took a risk, and it did not work out well for her. And so what is Patch's perspective towards people now? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's his fault. He taught her. He taught her to trust. And because of that, in fact, he says, if I would never have met her, she'd be alive right now. Is that true? I heard yeses and noes. <laughs> Do we need to raise hands? Is it true? We don't know. Angry. Because she went to this dangerous place. Yes. Without this. And when we learn yep. words in the beginning, it's not that you just take it and follow it and say, okay, now I'm going to go do this. I'm going right. to go to a foreign country without any training. Yep. I'm going to go in there without any responsibility. And that's what I feel she did. Yeah, a lot of procedural stuff. Yeah, she could have done differently. Absolutely. So that's true, no doubt. Yeah. Um, let's look past the procedural stuff. Because, again, I would agree fully that, yeah. But Patch's response of she started to trust. What did he say about, about her thoughts towards him early on? Did you hear that comment there? Yep. And she should have gone with her instincts. Yes. And because she has learned from experience that some people are unsafe. Yes. And then she went completely the other. Yes. I don't know. I kind of feel like he was somewhat responsible. If he had Yeah. Yeah, but the way 
Yeah. Yeah. If again, if we could watch the whole movie, she actually treated Patch the same way she treated him. And so now we're stuck in that conundrum of when does that when does that internal alarm bell going off inside saying danger, danger? When do you learn how to listen to it, and when do you learn how to say? I actually call it burnt toast. It's a it's a weird thing. Okay. Yes, there does. Do you feel the conundrum going on here? Do you feel the tension? It's like, we want black and white answers. We want to know who's safe and who's not. And if they just wear name tags, that would make the world a lot better. If we could just have some sort of rating system, just like on Yelp or Amazon, and there's like four stars on your forehead, and we know that you're a good person and you're not a good person, that would make the world easier. But we're not given that. We're not given that. And so... We're, we're stuck in this true conundrum because I'm in the, I'm in the same business as Patches, which is I want you to live more th- with more freedom and I don't want you to live with fear anymore. And that means you have to risk. You have to try that risking thing. And at the same time, I have to tell my clients, there's no guarantee that you're not going to get hurt again. What a crappy job. That sucks. And yet I will still do it. I will still do it. Because I believe that it is essential to live with freedom and vulnerability and joy in a world of potential harm. That that's, might be ergling, might be percolating for some. Because I know, again, in the room, some of you, your protective strategies have literally, okay, concretely kept you alive and safe. And have someone come into you and say, that might not be the best strategy years away from that situation that you needed to be safe in. You're looking at me, and it's like me saying, I want you to jump off this building and trust that you're going to be okay. It doesn't compute. So I'm I'm treading carefully because people's protective strategies are necessary and appropriate given the situation when they are actually in danger. When people are out of that context, it is healthiest, it is appropriate to be able to learn different adaptive strategies. Does that sound fair enough? Got it. Have I talked about the basketball playing Eskimo? Does that sound familiar to anyone in here? Basketball playing Eskimo. Hannah knows about it. Uh, little, little Eskimo child born in an igloo, um, raised on the ice, and the very, very, very first thing he learns from his parents is you never, ever, ever go outside without your um, sealskin hat and coat and boots and gloves and mittens and pants because you'll freeze to death on the ice. And he's a very good little Eskimo boy. And so he says, I'm never going to go outside without my sealskin hat and coat and boot and pants and mittens and all that stuff. And he grows up doing that. And he's He's a happy little Eskimo child, and he gets really, really good, actually, at playing basketball. In fact, he's the best basketball-playing Eskimo on his team. I mean, he can slam dunk. He can go crazy. He's just amazing at, at playing basketball. In fact, he's so good, some recruiters find out about him. They fly up to his village. They, they scout him, and they go, man, we want you to come play for us. And so he's the very first child amongst generations from this, from this tribe, um, this village, who gets to go to college. And so his parents are excited, the whole village is excited for him, and he gets on a plane and he, and he goes to college. And he's got a full-ride scholarship to play, to play hoops for, for the college. Three, four, five weeks into the basketball season, preseason, and the practicing and learning, he sucks. 
I mean, he can't run. He can't keep up with the team. He can't put the ball in the bucket. He has no idea what's wrong. And so he asks one of his friends he's made down there. He goes, I... Do, do I, do, am I as bad as I think I am? And the guy goes, yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you're at the bottom of the list right now. I'm not sure if you're going to actually stay on the team. And he goes, I, have, I don't know what in the world's going on. I, I know how to play ball. I'm really, really good at playing basketball. And the guy goes, you know what? I, I believe you, but what I'm actually more curious about is, is why you're running around wearing a sealskin hat and coat and boot and gloves and pants when the rest of us are in shorts and, and no shirt and, and, and converse. This is, we're in southern Florida. He goes, man, I'm, I'm dying. I'm just burning up in heat here. But everybody knows, I mean, everybody knows you never go outside without your sealskin hat and coat and boot and gloves and pants and, and, and all those things. You'll die if you go outside without that. Right? A strategy which worked and literally kept him alive in one scenario is now hindering him in an entirely different scenario. And the strategy itself isn't the problem. It's context. I actually would recommend that he doesn't get rid of his sealskin hat and coat and boots and pants and gloves because if he wants to go home and visit, what's he going to need? He's going to need all that. So, but it's also appropriate for him to learn how... Can you imagine what it's like the first time he takes off that coat and feels... That, that air on his chest, imagine how weird that is. That's just an entirely new world for him. And yet, is it appropriate for him to learn a different strategy given the different context? That adaptability, that flexibility is actually what promotes health. That is what is, um, I would suggest, is probably in that limiting kind of, he could be doing better, but the old strategy is no longer working. Now, again, he's still a valuable human being, but this just, it's a strategy is misplaced. But what happens if he takes all of that off and he catches pneumonia and dies? I mean, we could run that scenario, because that could happen. I mean, we have no idea. Man, this is just a warm, fuzzy class, isn't it? We all feel good about this. It is... A lot of people go, if I risk, if I trust, if I want to be vulnerable again and I get hurt, somehow God has let me down. I did what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to trust. I was supposed to open up again and God has now let me down and God doesn't care about me. And the world responds with that saying, well, then your belief in God must be the problem. And if you can just believe in something else, then you'll get through this. And so... Again, we try all sorts of things to believe in it. It doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you believe in it strong enough. And that is how you'll get through it. It's a very postmodern approach to belief. So it doesn't matter if you believe in a feminine God. Again, even in the 12 steps, there's the, what's the language there? The higher power, however you define him or however, however you, as I understand him. Highly subjective language there even though it's still calling on a higher power. Not even calling it God, it's just a higher power, however you define that. So you can believe in yourself instead of God. There's a lot of people selling a lot of products out there to help you get really, really better within yourself. Believe in love or whatever form that means to you, as long as you just believe in love, or just believe in something. Problem is, that mindset will also keep you stuck 
A strong faith in a weak branch can be much more fatal than a weak faith in a strong branch. I can believe all I want that I can jump and grab this twig that's standing off of a tree. I can believe that it's going to hold me. And that might be fatal for me, right? Because chances are that small twig, that small branch, has no capacity to hold me. Or I can go, I'm stuck up here, and i got to jump, and here's this huge limb. It's giant. I don't know if that's going to hold me. Our object of faith actually is much more important than our level of faith. How strange is that to say? What we believe in actually matters much more than our level of faith which is actually tremendously reassuring. Because that means we're allowed to wrestle. We're allowed to question. We're allowed to come to a God and go, I know that I'm supposed to live by faith with you. I know I'm supposed to trust you. And I'm scared out of my mind. I want, to, I want to believe in you. I want to trust you. I want to jump and hang on to you. And yet I'm terrified. And he goes, that weak faith is understandable. I'm not going anywhere. Let's wrestle through it together. I'm going to put some people in your life. Wrestle through it with them. That gives us permission to not have to be perfect. Which again is, oh, man, it's refreshing for me. It's truly refreshing. And so we can look at a situation like Patch Adams' story. Or the Eskimo who catches a virus and, or pneumonia and dies. Or a time when you have opened up and risked and got burned again and again and again. And you can go, see... My, my original thought process to keep myself safe is much better than trusting in God. This is stronger than this over here. But it's not. It's not. It's protective, and it's understandable. And I'm not going to fault you for it, but I also don't want you to be restricted by it. I want you to have more freedom in the way that you live and to be able to move into a state that says, I'm still going to trust God even if I got burned. That's not an easy thing to ask. The rest of Patch Adams, if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to tell you how it ends because it's important and you might want to watch the end of it because it doesn't end there, by the way, okay? It's a really great story, really great story. There's actually a real guy named Patch Adams out there. He, he travels internationally with a group of people, medically working with people uh, through humor and things like that. It's a pretty good story. It's a pretty good story. Even more importantly, and this is what is, blows my mind and profound, and this is where we're going to leave it tonight. Um, God entered into suffering and abuse. We are not alone in our pain. In fact, Christianity is the only world religion, if you want to call it that, that has a God who has entered into our pain. He says, I know the pain that you're experiencing. And I'm not going to stop it. I'm not going to pull you out of it. I love you. I love you so much. Instead of me just stopping it and making all your worlds happy, he says, I'm going to enter into it with you so you're not alone in it. And I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like. 
What a profound experience. It's, it's my privilege as a counselor to sit in the pain of people. I can't stop it. I can't make it go away. I can't tell them everything's going to be better. A lot of times the consequences are unbelievably painful. And it lasts for years. And yet, for some strange reason, I am afforded the opportunity to sit with them and to weep with them and to cry with them and to struggle with them. And because they're not alone in it, they make it through it. You have the opportunity to do the exact same thing with the people sitting in this room, with the people you know. I don't want any of you to be alone in any of this. That's what I would argue Christianity offers is, is relationship, not happiness. Okay? You enter into relationship with Christ. And he goes, ah, great. You're not alone anymore. I want to offer you hope. He can go through our pain primarily because he exhibited ruthless compassion and it cost him his life. And here's the best word, temporarily. What a strange concept. And again, this is not a postmodern concept at all. Ruthless compassion cost him his life. Do you see the similarity in the story of Patch Adams? Trust cost her her life. She was trying to be compassionate, and it actually ended up killing her. Some of you might try to risk something, and it might end up hurting. But we'll go back to 2 uh, Corinthians. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 4. I always get confused. 2 Corinthians 4, which says, Our light and momentary troubles... The things that are seen are not as real as the things that are unseen. And so when God says, it's hard and it's painful and I'm going to die, but that's not where the story ends. So death is actually nothing to be afraid of anymore. And if death's not something to be afraid of, pain might not be something to be as afraid of. Now again, it hurts. It's difficult. But we don't have to have the fear. We don't have to sit in the hopelessness. And that... That's worth the price of admission right there. That is good. And that's what I want you all to be able to recognize. The why God question. Why in the world did this man that I met right here last Monday perish? I have no idea. I can't answer that. I cannot answer that. And I can't imagine the pain that his family is sitting in. But I do know that there's hope which says this is temporary. Isn't that amazing? Truly amazing. Bothers my wife so much. But I actually look forward to the experience of death. It's weird, okay? Not because I'm, you know, I want to be away from my wife and kids and everything like that, but it's just, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me. And I hope it happens when I'm about 98 years old and I've lived a full, complete life. My daughter is frowning at me right now, by the way. She doesn't like this either. I'm not going to do anything to, to speed it up, but it's going to be fascinating and a wonderful experience. What if, what if that is what you could believe about this life? This life just gets better than the problems we're having now, again, aren't truly as painful. So, Feelings or thoughts right now? Kind of an odd night as we kind of integrate trauma and God and worldview. It's kind of a weird thing. 
especially kind of the weird clips I showed. Any just thoughts, questions, or feelings you want to verbalize at the moment? Real loud if you can. Oh, that is so good. Can I differentiate between joy and happiness? <sighs> no. Next question. Um, anyone else want to give a shot at that? Happiness is Joy is eternal. Happiness is temporary. I've heard that. Is that where you're going with it as well? Okay. Okay. You had a shot at it? No, I was going to say the happiness is Yeah. It's a strange, again, that kind of conundrum or that counterintuitive thing, but you can be going through a painful experience, circumstances, and still maintain joy. Um, it could almost be said that joy can be a character trait. So it, it is how you approach difficult circumstances. So, and again, happiness would be more conditional and temporary and circumstantial. So that's where I would have gone with it, but these people are smarter. So any, any we got just probably two more minutes. Yes, sir. About the basketball playing Eskimo story. Yes, basketball playing Eskimo. Life is a series of adjustments. Yes. I like that. One of my favorite quotes is actually by Darwin. So take that into consideration because Darwin is in which worldview? Very modern, okay? Trying to explain truth without God. But his great quote that says, it's not the strongest or the fastest that survive, but those, uh, but those, who, are most, um, uh, those who are most able to adapt. <laughs> yep. So again, he's relating it to species. I'm relating it to emotional health. My gosh. See how he spun that? Welcome to postmodernism. It's great. You can kind of just pick and choose when you want some of these things. But the ability to adapt is, is profound. It is great. Surgeons, I'm glad surgeons have a broad variety of skills because they said, all I got is a chisel and a hammer. How many of you want to show up for that surgeon? <laughs> You want someone who can be delicate at times and someone who can do the hard work, right? Especially when you bust your wrist and you got to get it pinned. It can hurt like crazy. And you want someone who is very careful and very precise to take good care of you. Again, I'm focusing on one primary area again. How do you define truth? And I understand that I'm making some broad statements because this isn't the context to go into it as in-depth as could be gone into. So... Uh, if you'll grant me a little grace and, and, again, represent some kind of broad strokes that I'm painting. Um, but I would agree, again, you, I've said it last week, that um, postmodernism has some wonderful, positive things um, that have contributed to interacting with other human beings that I don't think were in existence 150, 200 years ago. Um, but when it comes to answering one question in here, and so I'm limiting it to a very one narrow area, which is how do you define truth? How do you discover truth? 
that, I think you can make some pretty clear distinctions on those. So, again, I'd rather have you walk out of here asking more questions rather than going, all right, well, those are some nice movie clips. I, I want to stir some questions, and I want you to be able to continue the conversation, not just in this series, but all into the year as you're working with each other in refuge or sitting next to someone in church or, you know, uh, people at work or things like that. My other hope is that you're going to be, you're, 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 your, your reticular activating system is now more aware of three predominant worldviews so that as you're going through life, you're going to start going, oh, that statement in the movie, that's a very postmodern comment. Or that's a very pre-modern comment. And you're going to start catching these themes. I already had a couple of people tell me that they've seen things and heard things as they're going through the, the day. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.